Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. On Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I uh, just took a sip of water, so I'm getting ready to get this hour going. What a great uh, first hour we had, and I'm really excited about this hour as well. My uh, friend Eric Bargerhoff is going to be on the show. He's writing a new book, which is really fascinating. Things that are in the Bible that you can't believe are in the Bible. It's not completely written yet, but he's going to give us a tease. And then Tiger McLuhan, my friend uh, who has been involved with uh, youth ministry for over 35 years, He's going to give some fresh insights on working with kids. And that's all ahead coming up on this hour. We'll take a short break and be right back. Hi, I'm Neil Staven. We've had a great year at Faith Radio with new FM radio signals added in Fargo and Sioux Falls, expanding the outreach. Welcoming back Susie Larson to daily broadcasts each midday. Starting the day with Carmen LeBurge and having Bill Arnold take us home each afternoon. A powerful lineup of interactive and insightful conversations, plus a long list of gifted preachers and teachers sharing God's Word to help us grow in our faith and apply the Bible to everyday life. We're honored to provide the platform for these programs that bring about life change. But the reality is, as a listener-supported ministry, without you, there is no Faith Radio. And now as we head toward the end of our fiscal year, June 30th, we still have 16% of our budget needs unmet. So I'd like to ask you to join us in support. Many others have led the way, but there's still work to do and funds needed to keep Faith Radio going strong. Here's how to get involved. Make a gift safely online at MyFaithRadio.com or call 877-93-FAITH. I'm always uh, delighted when I get a chance to speak to Eric Bargerhoff. He's uh, the Associate Dean of Academic Affairs, Professor of Bible and Theology. Uh, he has been in pastoral ministry for a whole bunch of years and got his Ph.D. in Biblical and Systematic Theology from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Illinois. He's written a couple of books, The Most Misused Verses in the Bible and also The Most Misused Stories in the Bible. They're two of my books I read off and on all the time. Eric, welcome back to the show. Hey, my pleasure, Bill. Thanks for having me Thanks. on. And you know, I'm very excited to hear about uh, the new project you're working on. I, I know it's just worth a tease, but I love a good tease. Well, uh, writing it as we speak, it's due out next summer. It's called Why Is That in the Bible? And, and, <laughs> you know, you know the, that makes me laugh. <laughs> and the subtitle is The Most Perplexing Verses and Stories and What They Teach Us. And um, so it's it's one of those books that has a lot more entries than the previous books do, and it talks about all the strange things, the f- complex, shocking, humorous, even hard to understand, difficult to accept types of Bible verses and stories that we see throughout Scripture. Yeah. Now, are most of us just willing to just put the initials, uh, mystery abounds, just write that in the margin, just so we go, we don't know anything about this, mystery abounds. Well, there is some things that obviously await the next life in order to fully understand, but God did speak to us in a way through his scripture that does allow us to comprehend what he wants us to know. And um, so he puts these things in there for a reason. And some of that reason is to reveal more about who he is and about what his will for our life is. 
but also just to remind us that we don't know everything that there is to know. Uh, amen to that. <laughs> what I don't know could fill a football stadium, so uh, that's kind of sad. Now, if you could just uh, tease us one step further, then we'll get off the subject. I would love to hear a sample of something in the Bible that would be, why is that in the Bible? And then maybe you could give us some uh, insight on that. One of the things that I'm writing about is uh, a lot of those stories in the book of Judges are just crazy. If you ever want to read a book that will shock you and really intrigue you, it's the book of Judges. It's one of the darkest periods in Israel's history where they were spiritually at their lowest point. And um, one of the stories in the book of Judges, in Judges chapter 3, is where God raises up a judge to go and kill a pagan king in order to deliver Israel from their oppression. And in this story, you have this uh, Israelite judge who goes in and deceives the king and finds a way to meet with him alone and stabs him uh, with a, a knife, and the knife goes over top of the fat in this very fat king, and the dung <laughs> comes out. And it's really one of those stories. It's like, this is disgusting. Yeah. Why is that in the Bible? I'm and almost so sorry you, I asked. Yeah, you might have. <laughs> and and it, so it's there. You know, this is our scripture, and, and we have, you know, this is not just a rated PG book. Right. Um, and, and there's a lot of insight, I think, that can come from studying that story as to how God was willing to go a long way to deliver his people, but also to humiliate those who had made a mockery of God for years and years, which is what the enemies of Israel had done. And so so God actually finds a way to humiliate them in mm. their sin. And, um, you know, God has the right, and throughout the book of Judges, we talk about how God has the right to exercise judgment in his way, in his time, at his uh, perfect convenience. And so that's one of those stories, and the whole book of Judges is full of those stories where God uh, executes judgment on his enemies. Does it seem that the typical Bible student or someone that's just trying to learn more about God might grab onto a verse or two and run with them and never fully understand what they mean? Because when I think of uh, your book on the most misused verses in the Bible— I certainly have seen people do that with verses, and I don't blame them or shame them, whatever. I just think to myself, I wish you would more uh, fully know the context in which this verse uh, was written. And I think people grab onto live verses, and I know that I did as a kid, and, and even today I feel like I have several that I cling to and resonate with the most, but... Um, there were times in my life where I looked back and I, I thought I knew what this verse was teaching. And and over periods of time, as I grew in my faith and as I grew to understand how to read, read Scripture and how to interpret Scripture in its proper context, there were a lot of verses that I had been raised with as a kid that took on either a different meaning or a more fuller meaning because I was able to go into them and study the whole history and the background. And this is what I think we have a job to do as a church, is to model um, what it means to interpret the Scriptures correctly in context, which is another reason, Bill, why I'm a big advocate of expository preaching. Yes. Uh, I, th I, think you, I think you model for the church how to interpret Scripture in its context. And there's, that doesn't mean that there isn't a place for topical preaching, um, there is times when we need to understand what does the whole Bible teach on a certain subject, 
But when it comes to the regular diet from the pulpit, I think it's really helpful for the church to see their pastor model good exegetical expositional preaching in a way that shows them how to interpret the scripture, giving the background, the history, the context, the sense. All of those things are so important for us to understand what God is truly saying. And if we don't do that, we don't really have the real message that the Holy Spirit wants us to get in Scripture, we just begin to cherry-pick and start wanting to make the Scripture speak to us in a way that makes us feel more comfortable. And I think we have to really understand that the Bible is meant to be interpreted in its own history and background in order to understand it properly. This is why you're one of my very favorites. (laughs) All right, because when you come to faith, maybe your first inclination is you come to God because you need something, and that's okay. It doesn't matter why you come to God, right? Well, no. I mean, our greatest need is forgiveness, but God has a way of bringing us to himself in a variety of means. Right. So let's say we come to God and we do want something, and the first verse we latch on to might be John 14, uh, 13 and 14, where it says, Ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. That sounds like a nice carte blanche verse to learn and to memorize sure does, and a lot of people use that today to manipulate God and giving them all the things that they want, the health, the wealth, all the stuff that they feel that God owes them um, in this life, and God never promised us that. So we have to look at that verse and say, okay, what does it mean to ask in God's name, in the name of Christ? We, uh, we were raised as kids, at least a lot of us who were raised in the church, with the, always, the tagline at the end of our prayers, in Jesus' name, amen. And so the question is, what does that mean to pray in Jesus' name? Well, I mean, obviously, um, there is a lot of prioritizing to our prayers that needs to come into play when it comes to praying in Jesus' name. It means that we agree with who Jesus is, what Jesus' priorities are, his kingdom priorities are, are the priorities we should be praying about instead of just our felt needs list that we often bring to him. We need to be thinking about what is it that's going to glorify God? What is it that's going to advance the kingdom of Christ? And when we pray in Jesus' name, those priorities and motives are the things that should predominate our prayer. In fact, I would suggest it would even change the nature of what we talk about and pray for if we have those priorities in place. And so to pray in Jesus' name is to pray in that sense, with Jesus as the main focus, not just simply some kind of magical formula that we tag on the end of our prayer that is as if it's some kind of a genie in the bottle and you rub him the right way and you're going to get all these wishes. That's not really what that that verse is about. Mm-hmm. What about the tag that we put on the end of the tag, which is amen? Doesn't that mean thy will be done? It does. It means uh, let it be so. Okay. You know, it, it's one of those one of those phrases that um, may it may it be or may it ever be this way when we say amen. And um, and so I think it's a, it's kind of one of those things where we're affirming that we want our prayer to be prayed in Jesus' name. That's what amen means. Mm-hmm. So when you hear somebody pray a prayer and they leave that out, what is your thought? Well, I don't think that it's necessarily one of those ideas that uh, we have to have a particular prayer formula that has to be prayed in order for the prayer to be effective. Mm-hmm. I think I think we pray those things and we say those things at the end of our prayers. Um, they ought to be a reminder to us about whether or not we have 
prioritize God's priorities in our prayer life and that that's truly what we want. That's what those things were there at the end for. But sometimes we get into routines and those kinds of things just become more ritualistic things that uh, sometimes don't have meaning if we don't think them through. I'm with you completely, Eric Barterhoff. Let me take a little break, and then we will come back. I've got a big question for you, which uh, involves the uh, parable of the bags of gold out of uh, Matthew 25. All right, we'll take a short break and be back with Dr. Eric Bargerhoff in just a minute. Welcome back to the show. I have on our guest line, Dr. Eric Bargerhoff. He's written a couple of books, uh, two of which I personally own, which I think you should own. Now, I got a question for you. Out of, <laughs> you make me laugh. I got a question for you out of Luke 25 or Matthew 25. And sure. that, that is the parable of the bags of gold where um, the man uh, returned and um, had gained five more. And the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Uh, why is it that that particular verse out of this parable seems to be uh, the words that Christians want to hear when they enter the heavenly realms. I think the thing that's more important than anything with the materialistic that one might look in there is the idea in that passage that Jesus is is really affirming a person's faithfulness. And of course, we often say we want to hear the words "well done, good and faithful servant." And and I think that I think there's a sense where no matter what. Um, no matter what things we are preoccupied with in this life, I think God will always be looking at us and saying, what did you do for my glory, for my kingdom, and how faithful were you in doing it? And so it's more than just simply living a life where from birth we're grown up, we go through school, we accomplish what we need to, we get a good job, we have a happy life and a wife and a boat and a couple kids, and and then we just entertain ourselves to death until retirement and then retirement we go and play golf uh, all the rest of our life and then we die and go see jesus now granted there's nothing wrong with playing golf Mm -hmm. i'm not uh, i'm not not poo-pooing on that so don't misunderstand what i'm saying but i do believe that um we uh amuse ourselves to death was actually a book that was written several years ago um and i and i I think there's a sense where life has got to be more than just the entertainment world in which we give so much of our time and effort. What, we spend three, four, five hours a day online or on the Internet or on our phones? And I don't want to go in front of Jesus and him look at me and say, you just wasted your life. And I just don't think that that's the words I want to hear. Mm-hmm. And so this this parable here is is about taking the talents, taking the things that God has given you and investing them in kingdom principles and kingdom purposes. And then at the end, it's you're going to be rewarded for your faithfulness with what God has given you, your spiritual gifts, the, the things that you are to be good stewards of, um, the way you invested your life into other people and in your family and your children and your grandchildren. Those are the things that are going to make a difference for eternity, and those are the things that we have to have our focus and our attention on instead of all of the other distractions that really compete for our energy and attention. Mm-hmm. The thought of being in the presence of the Almighty God would have to be 
so inconceivable in my human brain right now. But just to be in his presence for the first trillion years and, and look at him with great wonder would be enough for me. I wouldn't need to hear anything like, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, yeah, there's a sense where um, we do, though, have to give an account for our life, and an account for our life will bring him glory and will add to our enjoyment of him in sure. the life to come. And But I do understand what you're saying. I think that just one gaze at Jesus and all the questions that we have had for so many years in our life probably won't have much priority anymore to even have answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, lately, I've been having some art, um, discussions. I shouldn't say arguments. I started that. But discussions with people that are not super grounded in their faith, and they, they're trying to run the race, but there's really, in no certain terms, is their eternal uh, security secure. They're still messing up along the way. Well, welcome to welcome to life as a Christian in a fallen world. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, until we—Paul uh, even talked about this in Romans 7. I firmly believe that Paul is speaking there as a converted Jew at that point, where he is explaining the fact that he still struggles with this sin that, that we still have to deal with in our fallen flesh— now, God has given us a new nature in Christ, so we have the opportunity now to, to obey and to please God, but we still deal with this body of death, as Paul would call it, this struggle, and we will never be perfect uh, in this life. But we do long for that day when we will not have to deal with sin anymore, and what a day that will be. And right. Just to, just to be completely freed away from from all of that, but... I think that we have to realize that God's grace is so huge, so big, that it covers all of our sins, past, present, and future. And so when we get a grasp of how big God's grace is, we can have assurance and security, and we can read passages like in Romans 8, that nothing will ever separate us from the love of God, and Philippians 1, 6, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion, or in Ephesians 1, that the Holy Spirit is a deposit that guarantees our inheritance. And we can see that Scripture is replete with all of these assurances to the true believer that as they follow Christ, even though they stumble, even though they still struggle, that God's grace is there. He has uh, washed us clean from the cross. From the moment of our repentance and faith, we are new creations. The old is gone. The new has come. You can't become unborn again once you're born again. And these promises are, 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 are there for our purpose to assure us that as we are in Christ, we are covered by his blood. And, and because of that, we can have confidence. And uh, we have to look at our life and say, am I, am I living a kind of obedient life that gives demonstration that I am a true believer? If you're struggling with sin and that bothers you, that's one of the first telltale signs that you truly are saved. Mm-hmm. I sometimes uh, will say, because I just had this conversation twice in the last three weeks, and I said, so do you remember when you prayed to receive Christ? And they said, yes. I said, so you do have in your memory praying to receive Christ and receiving the gift of temporary life. <laughs> that's exactly right, and that. <laughs> That's just a way to, to re- they, that should shock them yeah, to hear it, you say th- that. They didn't like because, that. No, because it totally goes against the whole biblical idea that life that Jesus gives is nothing but eternal life. And when does eternal life begin? It, it starts the moment that 
you believe. And from then on, you're a child of God. You are claimed by him. You're adopted into his family. And and as such, he will not disown you. Yeah. I mean, he, you are his child forever will be. I think we have lots of hymns that we sing that are about that idea. Yeah. Eric, we only have a couple more minutes, so I'm going to ask you to, to uh, uh, talk about the passage that all of us love, which is Philippians uh, 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I know we apply this in just every area and walk of our life, uh, but are, do we have that out of context? Well, the context that Paul's referring to there in Philippians 4 has everything to do with the ability to be content in any and every circumstance. Paul said, I know what it's like to have a lot of things, and I know what it's like to have hardly anything. But in each of those situations, I have learned the secret of contentment. And that secret is knowing that I can do anything that Christ wants me to do, whether well-fed or hungry, through Christ who gives me the strength. So I can persevere in each and every situation that God gives me because he gives me the strength to do it. I know how to be content in Christ. I know how to abide in Christ and to dwell in him. And when we have that as our priority and focus, then we've understood what that verse is really talking about. There are other passages, Bill, in the Bible that would refer to that we could refer to talking about the strength that God gives us to perform tasks or do other things. First Peter four ten, every each one of you should use or five ten, each one of you should use whatever gift is received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And so he's basically saying if anyone does it with the do anyone does something, do it with the strength that God provides. So in that context, in that passage, that'd be more appropriate to use to talk about the kinds of things that God wants us to perform and do in his strength. But the Philippians 4.13 passage is essentially about learning to be content in Christ no matter what your situation. All right. So so with worries that we have, uh, and that can hijack our faith, how do we stay focused? Well, I think the, the, the worry is a symptomatic of the idea that we have taken our eyes off the Lord, and mm-hmm. we've worked, looked more into our circumstances, much like Peter was looking at the wind and the waves when he was walking on the water instead of keeping his eyes on Christ. And and I think there's a sense where uh, we have to remind ourselves that the world wants to distract us from the gospel. The world wants to distract us from our time in the Word and genuine prayer and genuine worship and genuine fellowship and serving other people, and he wants to do everything he can to take us off of that straight and narrow path. But if we keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and we look at him and we focus on him, wow, there's all will be well. There'll be peace in our hearts, and we'll know that we are doing what God has called us to do so that we can hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Yeah, boy, that all rings in my in my heart, Eric. I so appreciate your wisdom, and thank you so much for once again doing the show. My pleasure, Bill. Anytime. Call yeah, again. I will. Dr. Eric Bargerhoff has been my guest, and if you're going to definitely want to head over and look at his books, I own two of them, and they're winners. I'll take a short break and be back with lots more in just a minute.
I always like when I can get a chance to catch up with old friends, and I have in studio Tiger McClune. He's the executive director of Youth Ministry Consultants. We've known each other for several decades. Tiger, welcome back to the show. It's great to be here. Bill. Yeah, and I know that you are in kind of an interesting season of life where you're uh, you're looking at new ways to help families and and do youth ministry consultant. And so I'm curious to find out what's going on. Well, yeah, after uh, heading up an organization called Youth Leadership for 29 years, I stepped back and then did that reevaluation of the next chapter. And, uh-huh. Uh, people use the word retirement and I talked about that and then I read my Bible and I can't find retirement anywhere in the Bible. Yeah. So it's a great American concept around money, but it's got nothing to do with the biblical mission. So I, I, uh, leaned into an idea of just trying to help parents, leaders, and churches, uh, share Jesus to the next generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, my whole life has been hanging around the next generation. And when I started, it was, I was young, cool, and relevant. And now I'm clearly not, and I'm mm-hmm. the old guy in the room, but I still, volunteer at a middle school drop-in center every Tuesday and Thursday afternoon at my home church and uh, still find out that I I love the next generation um, and I want people who care about that to be more effective and intentional because I know every parent hopes that their kids turn out well. Uh, Every youth group hopes their kids love Jesus and turn out well. And there's a lot of people who hope for the next generation. And I use a phrase I say a lot, which is hope is not a strategy. You know, God bless you for the feeling, but we have to be in today's culture more strategic uh, and intentional, I think, as parents and churches than ever before, or the culture is going to keep winning. Mm -hmm. And that's really uh, a challenge. So I guess in this chapter, I'm just trying to lean into helping people be more strategic. Well, you're helping me by coming on the show today. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks. Uh, You were talking about the uh, five functions of families and where they get stuck. And that had my attention. I'm dying to hear more about that. Well, uh, I've always said there are three kind of circles around the next generation that can influence them for positive or negative. There's others in terms of culture and technology, but in terms of relationships, it's the family. Uh, Then it's uh, the church can be a positive faith influence and then other caring adults that are not family members. So around the family, I've, I've just tried to figure out what is it that we can help parents with? And one is to identify and be honest about what I call the five functions of families. And the first two, you do not have to take a class on. You ask anyone who's a parent, they immediately know these. The first one is to protect your child. You talk to young parents, and, and they want to go home from the hospital in, in an armored vehicle. You know? <laughs> and, and anytime you listen to parents talk about a story of a, of a, of a parent who has not protected the child, left them in the car, uh, left them at home, we're irresponsible. There's an emotional reaction among parents because we just can't fathom how anyone could not protect their child. So that's the one that you don't have to take a class on, but it's huge. It's an important part. Now, we can talk about protection when they're young is physically protecting, but as they get older, how do you protect them in a technological society? But protection is a part of our job. The second you don't have to take a class on, which is loving. Well, duh, you just love your children. Mm -hmm. Every parent will say, I didn't know this kind of love until I had a child. So those first two are built into us. My contention is if we let those two rule us as parents, we, in essence, become unhelpful to the child as they get older um, because those are innate and built into us, but they're not the end goal. Uh, So protecting and loving start. The third one is to teach. 
And that's both spiritual teaching. The Bible is filled with teach these things to your children, impress them on your children. When you're at home in Deuteronomy 6, when you're on the road, uh, when you're waking up and and evening. So there's these rituals of teaching that are important for the family to do. Um, And that is also to teach practical things. One of the things I think sometimes we in the church do is we teach spiritual things. We don't help kids enter the, the adult world with the practical skills around money, uh, around delayed gratification, around uh, choices and decisions and consequences and uh, all that kind of stuff. So teaching is important. We have to tell them the things we believe in and why it's important. And the why it's important is getting more and more important as they get older so they know the rationale behind it. So protecting, loving, teaching. And then the fourth one is modeling, which is harder than teaching, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to, to live it out so that if we tell a child to have uh, limits on their own on their screen time and we don't model that to them, guess what? They will go towards the modeling every time. Um, I always tell a story of my, at my home when I was growing up. We had a, a road that hit Highway, highway 95 south of Stillwater um, with a stop sign, and my dad never stopped at it. It was just kind of a roll-through procedure. He looked left, and then he rolled through the stop sign. What are the odds that when I get 16, I'm going to stop at that stop sign? Slim. <laughs> Very slim, like yeah. zero. Yeah. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. I just r- would roll through that stop sign because it didn't really mean stop because my dad taught me that it didn't mean stop. It mm-hmm. meant slow down and look. Mm-hmm. Um, I, unfortunately, I was driving uh, late for a date, and... I was zipping down that road, and I looked left, and I, I went through it at about 20 miles an hour. Uh, and as I hit the highway, my dad was coming home from work, and in slow motion, our eyes met one another, and I thought, I better stay out late because I may never be driving again. <laughs> <laughs> but I came home late. Sure uh-huh. enough, he was in his chair, light on, and we knew I knew we were going to have a one-to-one. And I thought the lecture would uh, be very different, and I have very few memorable teaching moments for my parents at home. But he started the conversation with this statement, Tiger, I can't ask you to stop at the stop sign because I don't. Wow. And, and even as a 16-year-old kid, I, I knew the wisdom of that. Yeah. He, he, he had a lot of other things to say about my driving and yeah. that kind of thing. And we, we learned a lot that night. But one thing I learned was Dad got it. If, I do, if I'm not doing it in my life, I can't keep telling you to do it in your life. Not to Very mention different. he could smell how much cologne you had on as <laughs> yeah. you guys passed on your way to your date. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. there's that old line, Tiger, what you're doing speaks so loudly I can't hear what you're saying. Yes. Yeah, it's a great, great quote. Yeah. And parents really know that we all are frail. We all make mistakes. And so we have to own up to our modeling. Sometimes the best thing a parent can say to a child is, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I believe this, but you saw me not live that out. It, when I did that in the, on the in the traffic jam, mm-hmm. or I waved at the person in the inappropriate way in the in the you know yeah. car. Why do parents think they can take liberties um, that they don't want their kids to do? Mm-hmm. Why do they think that? Because um, I'm the we, parent. Well, no, I think because we're human and we okay. all like shortcuts. I think it's called sin. I'm not sure. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you it's know, a little nasty word. It's a little nasty word that yeah. sneaks up on us, yeah. and, and it sneaks up on parents. But I do think that's true. We sometimes want to say one thing and do another. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- that's the more challenging, and they get they get harder as it go down. Loving, protecting, easy, easy. Uh, teaching. Most parents get that mm-hmm. and try it some respects. The spiritual teaching is a whole other issue we could talk about. 
then the practical teaching, then modeling. And the one that we often forget, and in fact, I would say is the most important job, is uh, send them, develop them, or another way to say it is get rid of them. Mm-hmm. Um, our job is not to... Launch them. Yeah, launch them. Mm-hmm. Our job is not to protect them and, and keep them isolated and insulated. It is to be preparing them, boot camp in our home, to be spiritual influences in the real world. And uh, f- far too many parents are, are getting stuck. They might get stuck in the first two. They might get stuck in teach, still teaching everything about life to their 18-year-old when the kid is, needs, needs to live it out needs to see it in action and get and get out there and try it. Um, it, it the old phrase was helicopter parenting. Now the new phrase just coined and kind of out there now is called snowplow parenting. And what that, that. What, what that is is parents who not only hover and care for, but they're in front of the kid protecting them and insulating them from life itself, from consequences, from um, things that upset the kid. Uh, we talk about safe spaces in colleges now where kids can't handle conflict because their parents have protected them all the way to the point where, not that anyone maybe has done this, but, you know, people with money would pay money to increase their kids' SAT scores to get them into the college that they think would be most helpful to the kid. That's never going to happen. No. <laughs> and and it, it's out of good intentions. Mm-hmm. They, they want their kid to succeed, but they're doing it the wrong way. Instead of being behind them, helping them and catching them when they fall and teaching them when they make a mistake and modeling appropriate behavior. They're going in front of the kid, getting everything out of the way. The, the illustration I heard recently that it was just one of those, one that shake your head as a college student, uh, young gal apparently uh, dropped out of college freshman year because she couldn't handle the dorm cafeteria. Because in the cafeteria, people were eating food with gravy on that and sauces on it, and that's always grossed her out. So her parents made sure she never at any table she sat at had anyone around them with messy food, with gravy spilling over the potatoes, because it made her their child uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So now this girl's 18 years old, in college, and can't handle a real-life situation uh, of a cafeteria. Now, that's obviously an extreme example, mm-hmm. but snowplow parenting, in essence, harms the child by us doing too much. And you can see it even in parents of five, six, seven-year-olds who every time the child is hurt, they come around and protect, insulate, um, make sure that never happens again. Mm-hmm. And you just have to remind parents, life is messy. And if your kid doesn't have the resilience to withstand messiness, they're in for real trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Tiger, talk about brain development. I think there was a scientist that was on not that long ago where if you don't allow a child to go through and experience the real consequences of their actions and you expedite their situation so they don't go through the consequences, their brain, their frontal cortex is not going to develop at the rate and speed at which it should. Uh, Yeah, brain development is a huge issue where we've learned all kinds of stuff about brain development over the last uh, few decades because you can study the brain now and not and not wait till the person dies, mm-hmm. which is really an advantage for the person. <laughs> <laughs> and and so we're learning all kinds of stuff. And one of that is exactly right: the frontal lobe, the cortex, the the, the CEO part of the brain right. that has to evaluate and assess and can handle 
issues like delayed gratification and decision making, accepting consequences. That part of the brain is obviously there, but it's not wired. The synapses have not been wired up to fully be online. It, it, people say the extension of adolescence is part of that cultural stuff, screen time, all kinds of reasons why the synapses are not uh, wiring. They say now that that frontal lobe isn't fully developed, fully online until mid twenties, mm-hmm. late twenties, or if you're a male, forty, uh, somewhere, <laughs> somewhere in there, when you're finally fully functional yeah. on the frontal lobe. Yeah. And I think you're exactly right. When parents get caught and stuck in protecting and loving, they're not, they're not helping. In fact, they are hindering the the necessary development of the kids' emotions their social skills, and their actual brain development. Because the, the synapses are a use-it-or-lose-it proposition. If mm. you don't use it, uh, you lose that, that wiring. Wow. Okay, that's, Which, a, that's a profound thought. I want to continue this. Okay. I do need to take a little break. Okay. Tiger McLuhan's in studio, Executive Director of Youth Ministry Consultants. We'll take a short break and be right back. Welcome back to the show. I have in studio Tiger McClune. He's the executive director of Youth Ministry Consultants. We were talking about uh, right before the break, Tiger, about how the brain gets wired, and you are doing a disservice to your child if you don't allow them to go through certain levels of consequence to help them fully develop their frontal cortex. So, and this probably applies to grandparents as well, because they're probably as quick to want to spoil their grandchild mm-hmm. as anybody. Right. So if they're told a hundred times not to take their phone by the pool and they take their phone by the pool and drop it into the water, they get a, a new phone later that night. Yes. So they're not they're not going to develop at the speed at which they should, right? Exactly. Because consequences is a frontal lobe activity. The, there's lots of fancy ways to talk about the brain. I, I'm a youth worker, so I tend to keep it really simple. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the brain develops from back to front. And your bottom part of the brain is your uh, what I call reptilian part of the brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the brain stem that keeps your body functioning. If that breaks, you, you're done. You meet Jesus. You're over. Yeah. Then the, the, I always put my hand on the back of my head, and, and around the, right around there, we, I, I call it the mammalian part of the brain. This is the part of the brain that uh, looks at something and says, oh, let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've, I, you film me while yeah. I take the skateboard down a concrete railing uh, and do a flip. Right. You know, and every adult who has a frontal lobe on America's Funny Videos is thinking, that's not going to go well. No, right. It's called, it's called a frontal lobe. Yes. At 14, um, you have it, but it's not working as well. So you have a lot of the mammalian part of the brain saying things, making choices. Um, and when parents w- want that part of the brain to be ner- cared for, they get in the way of the development of the brain. Mm-hmm. So you're right. You drop your phone in. That's really sad. The mammalian part of the brain will freak out. I can't talk to my friends. I'm going to be isolated. The world is horrible. Uh, you got to get me a new phone. Um, consequences would say that's, I'm really sorry that that happened. And um, how is it you're going to ra- help raise the money Yeah. to uh, help help us pay for it? I'll right. meet you halfway maybe. Yeah. But I'm not, not going to rescue you. But I'm not going to buy you a new phone tonight. That's right. Yeah. So throw whatever fit you need to throw. Right. The mammalian yeah. part of the brain, by the way, is really good at throwing fits. Yeah. Um, we all we all have that part of our brain and we all have, have mm-hmm. that function. But the CEO is the one that evaluates it and puts it in perspective. And, in, and I think 
we're forgetting how important that is because a, a fifth function is to get rid of them, to help them enter adulthood with their faith intact and their brain fully functional and their social skills able to handle the messy world in which we live. Mm-hmm. And, um, and well-intentioned parents who get stuck at loving and protecting just forget that. And uh, it, it can be really tricky because it's no fun. You ask anyone um, who's a parent, the hardest is as you're moving down. You're, you're teaching, modeling, and, and get, developing them. Mm-hmm. That's a lot harder because one of the things is um, you have to explain yourself more <laughs> when you're helping their synapses develop. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to answer that why question. It's not the two-year-old why. why. It's, it's a 15-year-old who's, whose brain is trying to figure out why, why is that? Why is that normal? Why, is, why are consequences part of my life? Why aren't you protecting me? Um, those are hard. They get tiring, and we're all every parent is tired, and so it's hard. Mm-hmm. Tiger, when you start to see uh, a, a a kid around maybe eighth grade going into ninth, and you start to for the first time see signs of rebellion or or a little bit of in your face, and it's like, well, what happened to that cute little boy we had? Now he's kind of given us attitude. Um, how fast should a parent be freaking out, and how much of that is just keeping a closer eye on them, or what do you do? Well, every every child's personality is different, but part of the journey of an adolescent is to, you know, fancy terms, individuate, is to find their own uh, way. And there are two, I think there are two primary questions that adolescents, whether they're conscious of it or not, and they must mostly aren't, are trying to form answers to. Two really critical questions. Fairly basic psych 101, but really important for parents to understand. One is, who am I? In all the options, and in today's world, every option is out there for kids. And it's really confusing. So when they, their mammalian parts of the brain starts getting frustrated, they, they will lash out. And they have to figure out, who am I separate from who mom and dad are? And that's not an easy process. We've all had to wrestle with that. Um, so the who am I question is important, and that will cause some of that pushback I'm not you. I'm not, you know, I want to be my own person. And mm-hmm. Again, if parents understand it, it's not, a, it's not an adult CEO uh, frontal lobe way of doing it. It's a mammalian part of the brain that's reacting. And the second key question is, whose am I? What group am I going to identify with? And they're, they're trying to figure that out as they navigate through middle yeah, school point. and high school. Whose am I? Uh, who's going to claim me? Wow. Uh, and who do I claim as my people? And that, to me, is those two things are essential that we in the church are creative and and consistent in teaching the who am I and whose am I question theologically, which is you know you are a child of God, you are these value this valuable, uh, you are ours, you are you are in the family, um, all that kind of stuff is really important to do it theologically. But then we also have to do it, I call it sociologically, meaning they have to experience it in groups where people say you're mine, you're family, you're ours, mm-hmm. um, no matter what. Um, but social groups, peer groups, uh, youth groups can be that place. So you're, you're, we, we're claiming you. And it starts to meet a real basic need. But who am I and whose am I? And then individually, when, when kids find people, a person, hopefully healthy, who says, I, you're in my group, I'm, I'm, I'm on your side, I'm mm-hmm. on your team, 
there's a need that's being met there. And unfortunately, the mammalian part of the brain will make really bad choices to try to get the who am I and whose am I question answered. But it's essential for adolescents, and that will cause some pushback against parents. Wow. All right. So we don't want to overprotect, but there is lots of scary stuff out there. Mm -hmm. There's drugs, there's pornography, there's uh, really bad company. And as a parent, you want to try to do your absolute everything you got to prevent that kind of activity. When do you step in and when do you step back? Uh, it's a, it's, there's no easy answer. Okay. If, I had, if I had that formula, I'd be, I'd be uh, selling a lot of books. I get it. You know, but it's, it's the constant be aware of um, our tendency to move up the lab, which is move back to protecting and loving because it comes so naturally and those things are so strong. The, adult, the parent has to be more intentional when they get to teaching, modeling, and sending. So I would say if it comes really naturally to you and they're 13 or 14, rethink it because you may need to be working harder to go down the functions. Mm-hmm. Um, and and some it's not, it's not doing it for them, but it's stimulating them to do the job. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the parents is not about fixing. It's about um, asking the questions stimulating that synapse to the front. Uh, tell me what you would do. Uh, is that everything? You know, instead of answering it for them, stir it up in them. Um, I have a middle school, uh, he now is graduating this year, but when he was in middle school, early middle school, uh, we'd go to movies, he and his dad and his uncle and I would go to movies. And, and one of my jobs as an adult is to always stimulate the frontal lobe. So we'd go see a movie, you know, we'd go see Captain America, and of course it's, you know, two and a half hours of computer graphic loud volume, perfect for middle school kids yeah. and former youth workers. So we loved it. But at the end, I would always take five minutes and I'd say, okay, I want you to tell me what you liked about the movie. What character was your favorite? Uh, were there any things in that movie that are consistent with what we teach in church or in co- some kind of question? And then I'd, yeah. I'd make him rate it. You're now the critic. You're the, you're the Star Tribune critic. I want you to tell me on a one to 10 scale how good a movie that was and why that is. And we had fun with it in the hallway. We'd talk and laugh. But my job was very intentional to help that kid not it, not use the mammalian part of the brain, which is what movies do, just stimulate this part of the brain like crazy. Mm-hmm. But if I want to be helpful as an adult, just take five minutes to stimulate the front. Um, keep, make him evaluate. Keep, work, keep working on it, huh? Yeah, critique, yeah. Uh, put language to it. You know, put nouns and verbs in the same sentence. Those are big things for a middle school boy. And practice it. Um, it was fun. We'd, we'd do it a few times, and then we got out with us. The four or five of us went to one. And on the way out, we, they're all, st- all the guys were starting to disperse. And this kid goes, hey, wait, 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 wait. We, have to, we have to evaluate the movie. We have to critique. <laughs> That's you know, great. It's a very simple example. But what I think is um, it requires intentionality. Mm-hmm. And parents need to be doing that. What is it? What's the consequence? How can I help you? Yeah. That's awesome. Tiger McLuhan's been my guest, uh, area Executive Director of Youth Ministry Consultants. Uh, Tiger, if I'm a, a small, medium, large church, and it would be awfully nice to get your uh, expertise and wisdom, how would I get a hold of you? Our uh, redesigned, uh, redesigning website is youthministryconsultants.org. Okay. And I'm just tiger at youthministryconsultants.org. Yep. Tiger at youthministryconsultants.org. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. And we just started working with more and more small churches to try to help them share Jesus to the next generation. That's awesome. Thanks for coming into the studio. Right. Great to be yep. here. We'll take a short break and be back with lots more. 
Hi, I'm Ted Ross with a Faith in Life Minute. Getting the job you want takes discipline. Here's leadership expert and best-selling author Mark Sanborn. Discipline, I always define it as doing what needs to be done when you don't feel like doing it. It is overriding the emotions with the intellect and the will. I called my wife a few weeks ago. I was just having a terrible day, just at so many levels. And, you know, I just needed to talk to somebody who I know would love me and listen to me vent, you know, without judging me. And she said, well, do you want to come home? You know, I'm self-employed, so I could come home from the office. And I said, no, I don't. And she said, well, what are you going to do? And for me, it was a pivotal moment because I said, I'm going to do what needs to be done. You know, I'm not going to have as much spring in my step or as you know, much energy in my words, but I'm going to do what needs to be done because discipline is kind of like a muscle. You know, you don't develop it overnight. You exercise it, and over time, it provides you the foundation that lets you continue to move forward in the face of difficult odds. Hear more from Mark Sanborn at MyFaithRadio.com. That wraps up our show. Thanks for listening, you wonderful you. I hope you've had a good day. I hope your weekend was great, too. It's back to work. It's Monday. Thank you for uh, being a part of this great uh, radio ministry. We love your support. Thank you for a little bit of uh, consideration as we try to wrap up our fiscal year, too. Anything would be uh, greatly appreciated. As you lay your head on the pillow tonight, just know God's working out that great plan in your life. Sleep well. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.